What's up, guys? Uh, welcome back to the Sports Analytics by the Numbers podcast. Um, I'm your co-host, Andrew Johnson, here. Uh, I'm joined today uh, by Noah Swan, and uh, Kevin cannot be here today, so we have a guest uh, on the show today, Kevin O'Donnell. Uh, how are we doing, Kevin? Doing great. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. For sure. Noah? Yeah, good. Good to be here. Just got done watching a way too close to the basketball game, so no better time for it's a great segue into the first talking point we have, which is uh, which is keeping up with the cats. Um, since we last recorded, uh, there's been about four to five uh, basketball games um, for for Villanova. Lots has happened, um, mostly positive uh, things. We've we've kind of gotten back on track after like a terrible blowout loss to Creighton um, in Kansas City. But uh, what are some takes, you guys, um, on the current state of affairs? Much stronger offensive performance with the past five games. I mean, three ranked wins now, including the win tonight over Xavier, which wasn't as close for the majority of the game as it was over the past, over the last five minutes of the game so far. Um, Collins been playing kind of a, a, this is one of his best seasons, not his best season. I think at Villanova, 40% for three, 19 to 20 points per game. Uh, it's very impressive. And, you know, Big East Gone was always going to be tough. And I think the team's definitely growing into itself a little bit more. Um, some of the younger guys are getting a little bit more playing time than previously, but definitely good to see kind of that Creighton loss get avenged with a 34-point uh, win over Creighton two games ago and taking care of DePaul when that could always be tough. So good to see them taking care of a, a tough Big East slate and kind of reasserting kind of a consistency that we've come to, you know, characterize Villanova over the past few years. Yeah, I definitely agree. I would echo most of what you said. Um, ever since that bad Creighton loss, we got right back on track with Xavier. Um, and I feel like our play has, you know, aside from some lapses, um, like first half of DePaul and some of the second half here that we just watched, it's been consistent. It's been more like Villanova basketball that I'm used to seeing. Um, and Colin has really stepped up. He's having a fantastic year. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited to see where the rest of the season goes because I was a little nervous in the middle of the season. Um, we were, you know, we were losing to good teams as, as you guys have mentioned on the podcast before. So that's fine. But I was a little concerned that we weren't able to kind of get over the hump, but those three ranked wins um, recently, that's, that's got me in a better mood. Oh uh, yeah. Off that as well. Um, I think this is just the hallmark of our program to where, when we get like in a stretch of like underwhelming play, there's just no panic. Like the culture that Jay Wright has, has established of just like sticking to the program, believing in each other, I think just shows in these moments. Like I don't think anybody before the season would, would like predict us to lose um, to Creighton at all, considering how they have five new starters, like let alone by 20 points. And the response has just been so automatic and like so consistent that I think it bodes super well for our like rest of the season prospects. I think, you know, obviously we've touched on Colin Gillespie, but um, for me, there's been two real um, things that have like led to wins for us um, more so than just like the star play. Um, One is the importance of Eric Dixon. Like I I think he's our most important player. Um, You know, you can talk about Gillespie being our best player, um, but Justin Moore can more than pick up the slack in the backcourt if he has an off night. Eric Dixon really has to hold down the paint all night long because Njoku hasn't earned minutes yet. Um, and our other big men that, you know, will play, um, you know, uh, Roundtree, um, Brandon Slater, 
Jermaine Samuels. They're all kind of like slashy six, seven versatile guys. We don't have a guy besides Eric Dixon that brings that like Daniel Oshefu like toughness in the middle and watching us play the second chance shots we get off of Dixon's ability to carve out space in the paint is just absolutely essential to our success. And, and like, so I think his ability to stay out of foul trouble, even though he's not like producing and like at a level of a star, I mean, he, like he's only averaging 8.3 points a game, 6.1 rebounds, but his consistency has been so important, um, especially um, after those big losses. Um, and then that like second point is the three point shooting of Caleb Daniels. Um, he's taken a lot of crap over the past year because of his performance in March uh, last year, but he's up to currently this season. He's, he's missed some time because of COVID, but regardless, he's uh, shooting an even 40% from three, uh, which is pretty significant because with the departure of Cole Swider, we thought that maybe three point shooting would be a bit like not our our biggest strength as it was last year, but his ability to bring that consistency from the outside and be an option to, to kick out on, post-ups from our guards has been absolutely like essential um those two things along um with the gradual increase in minutes for brian antoine i think bode super well for the rest of the season and i think um like as it stands right now we we have a pretty clear path to being the class of the big east again um one also one stat that's also pretty insane that they mentioned on the broadcast uh today is that we haven't lost a conference game in the fin uh, since the merger five years ago, like we're completely undefeated at home in the Finn, um, which is just absolutely crazy and like mind boggling and shows like, you know, how consistent we are and who we are and the culture of Jay Wright continues to, you know, bring home. So that's all I got. I don't know about you guys. I'll say one more thing. One of the things I liked that last time we were on the podcast is kind of the comparable teams in the past Villanova. So kind of Bart Torvik will take the, statistical profile of another compare with previous teams. And so looking back on it before, it was a lot of round of 16, round of 32 teams in the NCAA tournament. Obviously not with Villanova's aiming for, given the pedigree of the program. Looking now, you get a lot of similar teams and you get kind of an Elite Eight Virginia team in there too. So the ceiling's definitely higher. The advanced metric websites at Kim Palm to have Villanova kind of up there in the rankings. I think it's just going to need a little bit more, I think, I still think Jermaine Samuels is probably not playing as well as he could possibly be. I mean, his three-point shooting is down pretty significantly year over year, like 11 percentage points from the previous year on a similar number of attempts. So he's still putting up kind of a 10-point per game total, but if he can get his three-point shooting back up, I mean, consistent threat from beyond the arc, then I think this this team could be even more dangerous than already is. And, I mean, putting up over 70 points and kind of – four of the last five games is kind of a testament to the offensive consistency that we've seen. And if Samuels can, you know, revive his three-point shot, then, you know, who knows what this, what the future of this team looks like. Uh, yeah, last point as well. I think one thing that we need to get better at is just, like, shot selection. I think we still um, shoot way too many early shot clock or contested threes. And if those don't fall, we, we don't have a lot of big, like, teams that are built around three-point shooting that – that are successful almost always have multiple two to three big men down low that are like safety valves for their offense. We don't have that. Like we don't have someone that we can throw the ball to who's six eleven and gets fouled. Like the best teams in the country right now, like you look at Gonzaga with Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren, um, Purdue with Travion Williams and Zach Eady, they have these post players 
um, that complement their 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 uh, guards so well and like so so like consistently that if we don't shoot to our like potential, we we do struggle. And I think we need to get better at um, you know finishing drives in the paint and trying to find more offense uh, than just behind the arc. But overall, like I think we should be pretty happy with like where we're at right now. I think it's almost good that we're not in the top five to where expectations are just crazy high like as long as we're in the 10 to 15 range throughout the season we'll probably be a like three seed four seed uh which which will be great um in terms of seeding so yeah i can't wait for the rest of the season we have our first uh game in uh, philadelphia this weekend at home against butler at the wells fargo center so that should be a great time um for all of uh villanova but uh, moving on here, uh, we'll talk about the most recent uh, big news in sports, which was the college football playoff. Um, an unbelievable game um, that wasn't like that at the start. Um, it was a pretty much a snooze fest until ha- until after halftime um, when the offenses woke up. But, you know, lots of things uh, to, to talk about when it comes to this game. Um, I guess we can start with the performance of, of uh, quarterback Stetson Bennett for, for Georgia. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I don't re- remember the last time a walk-on has ever led his team to a national championship, um, especially against Alabama. Like, it's pretty much like um, Hollywood-type stuff here. Like, um, you know, like you look at the last four or five national champions, you think about Tua Tagovailoa, Joe, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence. Like, these are cream-of-the-crop quarterbacks and surefire first-round on, like, NFL picks. Um, but Stetson Bennett's a walk-on that might not have a future in the NFL. Um, and, he, and he just outclassed the Heisman Trophy winner, uh, Bryce Young, in the championship game. So, I like, what are your guys' opinions, takes on that? Um, and we can just dive right in. Um, I think this is one of the best college football defenses we've ever seen in Georgia. Um, I mean, if you look at kind of the more the EPA per game metrics, they're passive. Their pass defense is best in the country. Rush defense is eighth in the country. Overall defense is first in the country. Um, and in the first game against Alabama, where they lost, a big thing in that was letting Bryce Young get too much time. Like, Georgia has great players all over the defense, but if you give the Heisman quarterback enough time, he's going to find Jamison Williams open because that's just how that works. You can't cover a guy for four seconds. But this game, the pressure was way better. The Georgia kind of Georgia looks were way different. Bryce Young was almost never comfortable um, behind an offensive line that definitely came back to earth after the past couple of games, which it's still crazy to me that they have the top offensive tackle in the country and they still were just getting run past almost every play against Georgia. So uh, definitely props to Georgia defense, but Stetson Bennett made some huge throws in this game. I mean, the George Pickens throw in the first half um, and then kind of some of the, the, the plays made in the second half, especially after that, fumble, which, you know, who knows whether that was actually a fumble or not. Uh, some of those plays are just really clutch. And I, you know, I don't think he's not, I still don't think Stephen Bennett is as good as Bryce Young, but he made some clutch plays when it mattered and kind of just did what needed to be done to make, to win the game. Yeah, no, he, he definitely delivered um, did what needed to be done. I uh, truthfully, I hadn't followed his story as closely, so I don't know if I can comment on, on it as much as y'all can, but um to echo what you were saying about the defense, um, you know, when they lost to Alabama and Alabama put 41 on them, I, I didn't think, I mean, it's easy to say this now in hindsight, but that seemed like a fluke. Um, with as strong as their defense had been all year, 
um, allowing just an absurd, absurdly small number of points per game. Um, and you always hear the mantra, defense wins championships. Obviously, you need an offense, too. And, um, you know, Georgia's quarterback certainly delivered. Um, and you can't, you know, there's no two ways around that, really. But um, the defense came to play and looked like Georgia always had um, this season. And, uh, yeah, I was pretty confident in them after that uh, game against Michigan, where I thought that was going to be a closer game. And it turned out that Georgia really dominated, put up a, a great defensive performance again. And then, you know, also 34 points. That's a great offensive performance. So, um, so yeah, definitely defense carried, but Stetson delivered as well. Oh, yeah, off that as well. I think your point about the defense is a great one. Um, like, whenever you have a quarterback like Bennett, who's, like, so physically, like, um, like limited, I think the defense needs to carry. And I think you can point right now to four defenders on Georgia who will be in consideration for like first round picks. I mean, worst case, uh, second rounders, which are Jordan Davis, uh, Nicobe Dean, um, Darion Kendrick and uh, Lewis sign. Um, the, the bottom line is their depth, their coaching and their speed just popped off the screen. Like Alabama, when they would bounce it outside, like on a run, or when the ball was in the receiver's hands, like they just, the, the after the catch was just non-existent. They closed in the ball so well. And having a man like Jordan Davis in the middle makes like simple run plays so difficult. And I think like we might never see a defense as start to finish dominant as Georgia was this season, um, you know, talent up and down the roster. And, you know, they, they also have a pretty talented offense as well. George Pickens, who had a huge catch uh, in the second half down the field um, will end up being, you know, a top NFL draft pick. But like, I think it's just great for the sport when a team like Georgia who can, you know, break their, their 40 year, I think um, college championship drought, like against Alabama um, puts hope in the, you know, casual viewers that there'll be some like variance on who wins every season. Like, um, uh, I think the odds for next season are, I don't know, I think Alabama's still favored. I, I think they're minus 150, but um, it's it's just a little, like a bunch of fun if you don't know the players, that, that not every game is, like, decided beforehand or that, that every season's already over before it starts with, you know, programs like Clemson and Alabama always being there. So I thought it was one of the most fun um, games that I've watched in the last, you know, five years uh, college football-wise, um, and I can't wait to see what these guys do at that the next level. Um, that's all I can really got. Um, so we can, I guess, move on, um, to quickly with the NBA. Um, the trade deadline is kind of approaching here. Um, and we still have gotten no answers, um, to the big moves that are being rumored. I think the biggest trade that's gone down, I think has been Rajon Rondo going to Cleveland, um, in a package that included Denzel Valentine. Um, that's all you really have to know about how there's been nothing um, with that on, on uh, that front in terms of big names being exchanged. Uh, but I wanted to pose two questions to you guys to kind of guide this conversation um, because they're, I think the, they're the two most likely things to happen um, as it comes uh, to big names being traded. Uh, the first is, is Ben Simmons. Um, where do you think he's going to end up? I, I personally believe that he's going to be um, a member of the Atlanta Hawks by the time uh, that the uh, trade deadline is over. That wasn't a, like an immediate suitor for him um, back uh, at the beginning 
um, of this season. But I think they have the need for a guy like him on the on the defensive end. Like they just lost a game to the Spurs where uh, Trey Young had 48 points. Like that should never happen. Um, they need his defense desperately, and I think um, he would be a great fit uh, for them. They're also just flush with assets, uh, more so than basically any other team in the NBA, in my opinion. Um, they can attach a guy like John Collins and his contract to make the money work, uh, but it's not like John Collins isn't a good player. He would be a great fit next to Joel Embiid in that front court, um, who can space the floor, let, let Joel go to work down low. Um, and they also have so much young talent, uh, whether it be Bogdan Bogdanovich, Kevin Herter, um, what's his name, Onyeka Okongwu, um, and then most importantly, Cam Reddish, who I think would be in any deal. Uh, that, I think, is the most likely scenario in terms of need versus uh, like um, practicality. Um, what do you guys think? I think that I think the fit would work well there, and the Hawks are far enough down in the rankings to potentially be desperate enough to give the package necessary. And I, I think more from a macro perspective, I just don't know if a team's going to give enough. And Daryl Morey, I think, is stingy enough as a jam to hold out until later on, although I don't Benjamin's value isn't increasing throughout time, so I don't kind of really know what the situation is like there. But um, I, I overall trade window, it seems with the play in, it seems like the market's a little bit quieter this year because there are more teams who are. Well, I think there's two things that are causing the market to be quieter. The, the play in game is one because there are more teams that can real uh, convince themselves that they're making the playoffs by getting kind of the nine seed and potentially being able to lock in to the playoffs and both convincing kind of their owner that, you know, hey, we made the playoffs last year. That really helps kind of the narrative around the organization. The other thing is the kind of COVID situation in the league where you have guys sitting out games. You don't know if you trade for him. Is he, is he going to be able to play for you immediately? Is he stuck certain places? And kind of the, the chaos happening in roster construction right now makes it difficult I've, probably to, to make a lot of trades happen. So, I would say Ben Simmons probably stays in Philly before the trade deadline. I don't, I don't think somebody's going to give enough that I think just Daryl Moore is too stingy, maybe to his deficit. I don't know. Maybe a team will be desperate enough. I think he would fit well with the Hawks. Though. Yeah, I think he would honestly be a pretty good fit with the Hawks, um, considering I was looking at the defensive rankings, um, knowing that they had been struggling recently and they're 27th out of 30. Um, that's really obviously Trey Young can score. They have offensive power, um, but they've really been struggling on the defensive end. Um, I, I've seen that maybe they would want to target, um, although Ben Simmons is a big, big guy, he doesn't play like a big, he's not a forward. They would target more centers and forwards that could play alongside Capella. Um, but he would definitely be a fit for them in terms of improving their defense, because that's one thing, you know, people fault Ben Simmons for his offensive production and his shooting ability or lack thereof, but he has always been a very solid defender. I, I agree with Noah that I don't think it's going to happen just because there have been some, you know, some pretty big deals in speculation that haven't gone through. Um, and, and Maury is definitely being stingy with Ben Simmons and trying to get the most out of him. Um, I just read an article saying that the an insider said that the Cavs were a new a new um, like possible suitor for Ben Simmons, and I thought that was interesting because the Cavs have um, 
been very solid um, above expectations for what I thought they would be going in. But I'm not sure. I haven't looked into it too much, but I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on if if he would fit in with Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Like, I think he would. Um, I think it's a good spot for him as well in terms of going to a small market where there's not as much media pressure um, for him to, I guess, crumble under. Uh, I think that package would have to be headlined um, by Darius Garland in terms of what Maury would require, which to me, if I'm Cleveland, I would hang up the phone immediately. Um, But I think just like philosophically with what Daryl Morey's doing, I think if I'm Joel Embiid, I I'm absolutely furious. Like it's, this is Joel Embiid's prime. Like he's 26 or 27 years old. Um, he's a player that relies on his physical dominance above all. And I think like that will wane as he gets older, um, which is to say that he won't age as well as like a Steph Curry. Um, he needs help right now uh, because he's a championship level player. And the fact that Daryl Moore, like Daryl Morey's operating as if the Sixers are not a contender. He's operating as if they have two, three years to wait this out um, where Joel Embiid's going to be 29, 30 years old in that time frame. And so if, if they care about optimizing the roster and giving Joel Embiid a chance to win a title, I think now is the time um, to take an offer that might not include in a perennial all-star, but gives him the help that a John Collins would provide. Um, I think you can go a lot of other places, like even like a Lowry Markin and, and uh, like Isaac Okoro. Like it's not a sexy package, but it's something back for a player who's an immense dis- distraction at all times and wasn't even good in the playoffs last season. Like I, I think he's a terrible fit with um, with Embiid on the court. That's That's pretty obvious, but um, the fact that they're taking this long and being so bullish about trying to get the world uh, back in return, I think is an absolute disservice to the roster they have uh, right now. And I think it's going to end up getting Maury fired if he doesn't act on it sooner. Um, I've also seen rumors of like their interest in maybe doing or attaching Tobias Harris to any potential deal, which I don't know how they would do that unless it's a three team deal, because that's around 60 to like $80 million of uh, yearly salary going out, um, which is nearly impossible for one team to absorb. Um, I think the most likely outcome of a Ben Simmons trade is a three-team deal um, because I think that will um, like allow more teams to benefit um, from, from his departure. Uh, but I think the whole thing needs to end, to be honest with you. I think like it's just time for the Sixers to move on and to give Embiid uh, the help he deserves because I mean as we have all seen he's been ridiculously dominant when he's on the court and the Sixers without him um, are a completely different team so uh, that's kind of my opinion but the next question I had about the the, the uh, trade deadline is uh, the Indiana Pacers um, they are a team that I've just I've been stumped by all year long like on paper they have a very young, talented, versatile roster that I believe should be a lock for the playoffs. Like, they're starting five at full health, which obviously is the issue, but at full health of Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert, TJ Warren, uh, Sabonis, and uh, Miles Turner is pretty is, is a pretty solid group. And I think you, you have guys like Chris Duarte off the bench that can provide a spark. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, uh, it hasn't worked out this season. They're their clutch time rating is the worst in the NBA. And I think 
they're currently far out of even the play-in picture. So lots of teams have been monitoring their roster status um, about possible trades, considering how much talent they have. Um, I think the most likely of those five players to be dealt is Turner um, for one, uh, because he's the less effective player between him and uh, Sabonis in the front court. And also he's raised vocally his concerns about wanting to be traded. Um, what teams do you guys think would make sense uh, for Miles Turner or like under that idea, just any player on the uh, Pacers roster um, across the NBA? Yeah. I mean, I think Miles Turner would be the guy, even though I think he's probably easier to fit into a construct of a championship team because he does have the ability to come out and shoot from three. Um, I, I've heard a, a deal that I've heard that I really like is him Turner to the Warriors for some package of, of young players, which would be, I think, really good for the Warriors. Like that, I think that'd be a really cool fit. And that team would be dangerous with him and Draymond on the floor because Miles Turner can really hang defensively and offensively. Um, I I really like that. The Pacers have, I think, have been in this log jam for years now. I think that this lineup of guys has never really worked out. Their third coach in the past four years or three years, something like that. And I mean, Rick Carlisle is a great coach, and the fact that they're thirteenth is a testament to the kind of inefficiency within the organization at some point. And God, I think that that's the team at this point. So. Definitely got to break up the Twin Towers there. I I don't know how you build around Sabonis, to be completely honest. I think they've hit on some good draft picks, and Bogdan's a good point guard. And they've got some decent pieces there. It's, you know, that maybe they maybe they decided to blow it up. I wouldn't be too surprised about that. But, yeah, I think Turner would be the guy to be traded if only one of them. I agree. And I think um, I've seen that the Knicks are interested in Miles Turner. Um, I think... That might not be bad for them. Um, Nerlens Noel, I think, is currently their starting center. And obviously they have Randall as a power forward, but Miles Turner is a great true center. He's a great shot blocker. Um, and obviously he can stretch the floor if they want to play that way. So I think that I don't know what would go into that deal, but I think that would be a solid move for them. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think a, a, a good team that could really fit with uh, Miles Turner is the Hornets as well. Uh, they have one of the best offenses in all of basketball, uh, but a pretty bad defense. Um, and uh, Miles Turner, by all, by all accounts, is uh, one of the best uh, paint protectors in the NBA who won't compromise their, their, their spacing because of his um, ability to hit threes. Um, they also have a lot of talent um, that could interest the Pacers as they rebuild, like James Booknight, their uh, first-round pick this season, hasn't seen consistent minutes because of how much talent they have in the backcourt he could be in him and like pj washington going out uh to uh to indiana would be a very interesting package um with him as a lob threat to uh ball at point guard and the uh, secondary playmaking of uh terry rogier and gordon hayward i think that would make them an absolute contender in the east and i think that's a move that they really should make um even if it means trading away future first round picks on that deal as well um, I've also seen the Memphis Grizzlies as a popular target for either uh, Sabonis or uh, Miles Turner, which would be which would be awesome. I would rather Miles Turner on the Grizzlies in terms of roster fit, just just because I think that the Grizzlies' dominance is largely dependent on their defensive strength at strength, and I think that um, uh, that would be like further reinforced uh, by having a, a rim protector 
like uh, Miles Turner, who would be a massive upgrade over um, Adams in that uh, department. Um, also, I, I, you know, this is just me, but I would love the Timberwolves to get Miles Turner. I think we're one um, defensive ace away from being um, a like joining that upper tier of teams in the West. Uh, if you haven't seen Jared Vanderbilt has been absolutely insanely good for us this season, um, but he's getting no press because he plays for the Timberwolves. Um, but I think he's a leading candidate uh, for most improved player. And I think him playing alongside Miles Turner um, and Cat would be a pretty amazing front court. So um, that's my kind of take on it. I doubt they trade everybody on their uh, starting five, but I think definitely trading either a Sabonis or Turner to one of the teams that we mentioned um, to start like stockpiling young talent would be best for them. Um, I also think that a big reason why they haven't gotten over the hump is the fact that they're kind of a, they've, they've been a good team for five or six years, which has meant that they never picked high enough to get like franchise changing talent in the lottery. Um, if they were able to, you know, trade away uh, Karis Levert and uh, Miles Turner, secure a, a top five pick and uh, maybe luck themselves into like a Chet Holmgren or a Jaden Ivy. I think that could go a super long way um, in helping them sustain themselves at, at the top of the East and actually, you know, have success in the playoffs. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my take on it. Um, I'd love to see a lot of stuff happen. Uh, this, this deadline, um, there just are a ton of teams that have that, that I think are like one player away from, from being truly competitive. And I think, um, you know, last year we didn't get a lot of stuff with the trade deadline, but um, I would love to see a package like that Chris Paul package uh, that the Rockets made or some big trade like that to really, uh, you know, bring fans back to the NBA. So we can move on, I guess, to the NFL. Um, we can start off before we get uh, to the playoff preview. We can talk about um, like the head coaching vacancies in the NFL. There were a lot of head coaching changes, most of that were, were, were pretty obvious. Uh, you know, you had your Mike Zimmers of the world, your Matt Nagy's, who everyone kind of expected to be fired. Um, you would put Daryl Bevel in there in Jacksonville as well. Um, but the real surprise uh, was the Dolphins uh, firing uh, Brian Flores uh, as head coach. By all accounts, it's been a success for him, Brian Flores, uh, in Miami. He's won 19 games over the last two years, uh, and he's even 4-2 and two against Bill Belichick which not many coaches can say, but uh, they decided to go in a, a different direction, I think, because of a disagreement he had with the GM. What do you guys think, or like, where do you think Brian Flores is going to go? Um, and who do you see all of these teams filling uh, their head coaches or their head coaching vacancies with? In terms of the Dolphins, um, I've seen the, the coach with the greatest odds to fill their vacancy would be um, the Bills offensive coordinator. Um, they've obviously had a, a very good offense over the past couple of years. Um, thanks in part to him, obviously, thanks in part to uh, Josh Allen and company, but I don't know much about him as, as a coach, but that's just who is currently favored to replace him. Um, as for where Flores will go, I don't really have any insight on that. I haven't done much research into that end. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I, I think yeah, there were a lot of dead men walking Monday morning, and a lot of them found their way out the door. Um, when the news came around, Brian Flores is not one of those people that I expected to leave. I, I don't know where he'll be going. I'm sure he'll land on his feet somewhere. He's definitely a great candidate. I think there are quite a few guys who were 
coaching candidates, especially last year, who weren't picked up. Um, Kevin made a good point. Brian Dable was, you know, rumored in a lot of coaching searches last summer. Never ended up going anywhere. Eric Bieniemy with the Chiefs, another guy. A, a lot of these OCs on kind of bigger teams, Byron Leftwich, also another guy. You see a lot of these guys who are in charge of like kind of high level offenses. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at the Titans OC from last year. Now he's down in Atlanta. I'm blanking on his name right now, but uh, probably a lot of a lot of offensive coordinators going to these teams to try to ramp up the offense. The Dolphins, especially one of those teams. You got, I mean, the Dolphins, the Jags, and those are two attractive jobs with quarterbacks who you may have evaluated at different levels. I mean, the Bears too with kind of Justin Fields and you know the Vikings they have a quarterback as well. I'm sure Andrew you'd love to talk about that. But uh yeah, I think there's quite a few quite a few teams on here that have exciting quarterbacks and a lot of offensive coordinators that were maybe pass over last season that'd be good fits for these teams. Oh yeah, I love to uh discuss the Vikings quickly. Um so I was very proud of the Vikings for making this move. I think uh there was pressure internally uh for us to not do anything. But uh, I think it was absolutely necessary. Uh you know, like current Vikings players were pretty vocal about how Mike Zimmer like promoted a culture of fear uh, in the organization and like punishment that didn't incentivize players to, you know, buy into the, the culture fully. The guy that I want for the job is Eric Bieniemy uh, from Kansas city. I think he's the best fit for the job. And I think maybe getting a guy uh, like Lewis Riddick to be GM would be awesome. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of all I got on them. I feel like Flores could be a decent option um, for them as well. I, I like the enemies to go to the Vikings too, because I think as Noah said, he's been, you know, rumored in some, um, some deals or not some deals, but to take a head coaching job for a little while now. And obviously a very successful OC. Yeah. I mean, I guess last notes, the, the job I'm probably most interested in seeing who they fell is, I guess, uh, the two teams that are, that fired their coaches the first probably have the most the highest leverage situation because, I mean, the Raiders have had a pretty miserable season. Overall, they made the playoffs, but uh, the situation with Henry Ruggs and the leaks that got Jordan resigned as well, those are, I mean, that really put the team in a, in a bad place. And seeing if they can get a good coach to turn the team around with a quarterback like Derek Carr, who's, you know, wavering right around mediocre, never really know whether he's, you know, above average, below average makes some great plays. Led the team in the playoffs, to be fair. So they've got talent there. I mean, Max Crosby had a heck of a season on the defense side of the ball. Talent there. From an organization standpoint, I think this hire is huge. And for the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, number one pick, a lot to work with there. A lot to work with, but also a lot of work to do. So it's going to be interesting kind of who these teams go for, what coaches kind of look to get in these positions as well. Um, and yeah, definitely interested to kind of see what happens. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. I think, you know, like you said, I think these jobs have a, like a bunch of potential, um, you know, for different reasons, obviously, but uh, uh, I would expect to see a lot of like returning head coaches this year uh, that can provide consistency. Um, the hires last season that didn't work or are currently not working like the Matt rules, the urban Myers, they're, they're college coaches that came to the NFL with no experience. And I think that has proven itself to be a losing uh, propositions. So I think maybe seeing guys like Jim Caldwell come back, take one of these jobs, um, you know, established guys that can bring uh, some credibility to organizations could be a, a good start. Um, one guy that I would love to see uh, the Vikings get if we can't get Eric Bieniemy uh, is a Byron Leftwich from the Buccaneers. I think 
we need to have an offensive hire uh, because our defensive first mindset has gotten us nowhere. And I think trying to get a guy that can can innovate on offense, whether that be left, which the enemy Kellen Moore from uh, the Cowboys would be interesting, would go a long way to to keeping Justin Jefferson happy and um, helping out our next quarterback um, on his transition. Because I do think Kirk Cousins will return next season, uh, mostly because um, of his cap hit. We owe him $45 million next season, uh, believe it or not, but we do. Um, I also think that, you know, every year it's the the rhetoric of Kirk Cousins not being the problem becomes less and less credible because while he puts up pretty pretty great statistics and offensive numbers, we just don't win with him. And I think, like, part of being a good quarterback is finding to will your team to wins, regardless of whether your defense is, like, ineffective. I think that's what makes Joe Burrow so incredible is his poise and, and the belief his teammates have in him to, to like, deliver I think Kirk Cousins doesn't have that for like whatever reason so I would love for our next head coach uh to really seek that out in quarterbacks take a guy who's won at every level and knows how to win and not just someone um with a big name so we'll see what goes down um I really hope Lane Kiffin isn't the head coach I heard that he's on the table for some reason which would be um an Urban Meyer level disaster but we will see what happens I'm Super excited to see how we attack it, especially because I think we did the right thing by also firing the GM. Like whenever you fire either your GM or head coach and you don't fire the other one, I think it's pretty much a means to an end to where the head coach or GM is going to want to have their guy regardless. Um, so I think we did a good job by just uh, ripping the bandaid off clean and like allowing us a chance to really move forward positively. Um and yeah, I'm psyched to see if we can rebound next season and be competitive because, uh, you know, not many teams have an offense as talented as we do with Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, the list goes on. We just need someone with accountability and, you know, offensive, uh, like non-cluelessness. So we'll see what happens. But uh, the real story right now in the NFL, we can do it briefly, um, is the playoffs. Uh, those are That's kicking up next weekend. Uh, some amazing matchups in my opinion. I can't wait to see the Bengals play. They're my favorite team to watch right now in the NFL because of how awesome their offense is. Uh, but just quickly, you guys, give me uh, your matchup in the Super Bowl and your Super Bowl champion. My my guess, it, it, it's kind of like, especially the AFC seems really up in the air to me. Um, I'll, I, I'd go Packers over Chiefs. I think Mahomes can, hasn't been playing very well this entire season and he can round into form like we've seen in the past, and I think they'll be able to get, kind of get to the playoffs. And the first-round matchup is a complete joke against the Steelers. So I take – I think the Chiefs – I'm thinking Mahomes will get back to what he can do and, and get through that. And in the NFC, there's a lot of competition. I think the Packers are the most consistent team out of all those guys. So I think the Packers will come out of the NFC, although the Bucks can probably challenge to injured. The Rams have been kind of inconsistent. And they're kind of like end of the season as well. Same with the Cardinals, same with the Cowboys. So definitely got to go Packers and uh, Packers over Chiefs, just picking consistency over the course of the season. Uh, yeah, Aaron Rodgers all the way. I am also putting the Packers in the Super Bowl from the NFC. And um, I think they'll win. Uh, again, as you said, the consistency has been there. Aaron Rodgers is having a phenomenal year. 
I think when you were talking about, you know, a quarterback in Kirk Cousins that maybe doesn't have that spark to lead his team to playoff wins, Aaron Rodgers has that. Um, you know, so people mention him falling short in the NFC Championship sometimes, but I think um, this is a year where he can get it done. Um, and they have a pretty good defense as well. I think I think a top 10 defense. You can fact check me on that, though. As for the AFC, I think I'm going to pick the Titans just to kind of go against a little bit of what uh, you were saying, Noah, there with the Chiefs. Um, if Mahomes plays well again, I'm assuming we're having a Titans-Chiefs AFC championship here. Um, if Mahomes does get going against the Titans, their pass defense is not nearly as good as their run defense, so that could definitely pose some trouble. But Mahomes hasn't had as consistent of a year, um, so I don't know if he'll be able to uh, get it done in the playoffs this year. Not to say in the future that won't happen, but um, with the Titans getting Derrick Henry back, he is a powerhouse, especially in the playoffs, as we've seen. He's a very good go-to guy that they can rely on. Um, and if they play anyone that tries to run against them, their their run defense is very solid. So I think that's their pass defense is really the thing that could get in the way um, in terms of their defensive rating. Um, their passing is is not so good, but um, I'm still going to pick them to go to the Super Bowl just because I think the AFC is a little bit weaker. Yeah, super interesting for sure. Um, my picks are kind of, uh, like you said, Kevin, not really popular, but I do think it's going to happen. I'm going to go with the, with the uh, Dallas Cowboys out of the NFC. Um, I think they haven't played their best football yet, um, and I think in terms of talent on both sides of the ball, you'd be hard-pressed to find more in, in uh, the NFL. I think if Dak Prescott uh, can play up to his consistent potential that he's shown all year, um, I think that they have the playmakers on offense, uh, the game on the, like they have an amazing offensive line. Zeke Elliott um, can carry a team on the ground. And then you got CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper on the outside with Zach Prescott throwing on the ball. The question mark entering the year was their defense, but it's been their defense that's been arguably more dominant than their offense this season. No thanks to um, Trayvon Diggs. Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons. So I think they have the star power um, in in, a, in a, the NFC to really make a splash. And I I hate the Packers with all my heart. So I'm also bitter and do not want them to make it. So I think it's going to be Packers versus Cowboys in the NFC Championship game. And I think the Cowboys are going to pull it out uh, for those reasons. And then in, the, in uh, the AFC, I'm going to go Bengals. I know it's pretty uh, a hot take. I, I do know that uh, the Bengals defense isn't amazing, especially their their uh, run defense is pretty weak, which could pose problems. But I just love Joe Burrow and I love his moxie. I think I think he's there's just something about the Bengals offense right now that um, that will never keep them out of a game. Uh, also, I think the Titans are the weakest one seed in recent memory, um, at least in uh, the AFC. Um, I think you know they they lost to the Steelers not three weeks ago uh, and are just now getting back Derrick Henry, who will for sure be rusty in the first game back. So I think the offensive balance that the Bengals have and then just the sheer number of playmakers that they have um, will pose a lot of issues uh, for, for whoever they play. Um, and I think it'll end up being the Chiefs versus the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. Obviously, I, I want to take the Chiefs, uh, but the Chiefs defense, to me, they were so good the, the last, you know, six weeks. And I think they did take a, a slight step back last week against Denver. Um, and it, like, exposed kind of uh, their their secondary as pretty vulnerable. 
Um, and I think Joe Burrow and, and the weapons that he has on the uh, perimeter will continue to pose problems for them, um, just like it did when the Bengals beat them at home in uh, week uh, 16. So um, we, we will see what happens. My, my champion is going to be the Cowboys uh, because I think um, they have the best mix of uh, talent and production um, in this bracket that we have uh, so far. So I am super psyched to see how it all plays out. Um, so many great teams and, and talent on both sides of the ball. Yeah, we're just, I just want to make one other point. Um, I think that the Patriots-Bills matchup Though it might be, you know, boring for people who like a shootout, it's a real defensive matchup, and it's interesting. The Bills actually, um, you know, I haven't been thinking about them very much as the Super Bowl contenders, but they are statistically a very good offensive team and defensive team. I think, um, in terms of rating, they're they're top five in both. Um, so that's definitely something to consider if you're looking at the stats. Um, I don't know that they can get it done. I I personally don't think so but it's it's certainly um certainly something to look for oh uh, yeah i mean off that as well i think that uh the the bills are almost like slept on now because of how the bengals and the chiefs um and like even the raiders have gotten more i think press uh than than uh the bills but you're right in that like they haven't gotten over that hump and they also have so much offensive talent um that i think this could also be their year i think that they're gonna um, beat the uh, Patriots pretty handily just because I think that um, they've just more talented on every like aspect of the game besides maybe run defense. But um, that game, you know, like even that game isn't like a premier game, I guess, in the grand scheme of the playoffs, but it's just got so much intrigue to it because of the history between both teams and uh, the rivalry in the AFC. So we'll see. Also, don't don't sleep on the Niners either. I know that they barely got in, but um, the keys, I think, to winning playoff games are the, are the ability to run the ball and uh, stop the run and rush the passer, which the Niners do just as well as anybody in the league. So um, we'll see if they can make a little run as well, even though I do have them losing first round uh, to the Cowboys. So short, uh, long story short, Aaron Rodgers, uh, I hope, gets upset. Uh, for- awesome. Well, I think that concludes the show today. Uh, We covered a lot of ground, um, had a lot of fun. So we will be back with you guys uh, in the near future, probably if not next week, then the week after. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for uh, stepping in today. It was great talking to you for the first time. And uh, yeah, we will see you guys soon. Mm -hmm.